My guest today runs a $400 billion business. She's the global head of ETFs and index strategies at Invesco. Please welcome Anna Paglia. Anna, how's it going? Good. How are you, Rodolfo? Hey, I'm doing fine. I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. And thank you for coming on to this podcast. Oh, please. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. So let's jump right into this. What do you do? That's a really good question. And uh, I keep asking myself the same question almost every day. So what do I do? I work for an investment company. I work for Invesco. Invesco manages about $1.3 trillion of assets divided between active, passive, and alternative strategies. And I'm the global head of the passive side of the house, which accounts for about $400 billion. What we do is pretty simple. We create, manufacture, and commercialize exchange-traded funds, which are a very particular type of investment company because they are rule-based, they track an index, and they allow investors to get into the market with one click, just buying one share, just like you would buy any other share that trades on the exchange. It is a business that is based on innovation, passion. I have a team of very energized people whose only job waking up in the morning until they go to bed is try to figure out how to create the next big evolution and revolution in financial markets. So I would say... I am lucky enough to do the best job in the world with the best people I know. That is awesome. That is awesome. And now, wow, $400 billion under you. Now, that's, that's incredible. But can we back up a little bit? When did you get involved in just in finance in general? And, and how did that happen? So it happened, it happened by accident. And that's probably the answer that most of the people in financial services will give you. I trained as a lawyer and uh, I went to law school in Italy, in England, and in the US. And it's either because I liked it too much or because <laughs> I didn't understand it enough and I had to repeat it several times and in several countries. But uh, I ended up in financial services because uh, that was the first job that I got out of law school. I interviewed uh, for a position in a big law firm in Italy, and I was assigned to the investment management group. Mm. So this is how I got to learn about financial markets, which to me was really new because, you know, growing up, we didn't talk about exchanges at the dinner table. And right. uh, when I learned about it, to me, it was a little bit of, uh, oh, this is what rich people do. You have savings and you invest them. Well, that's nice. But uh, when you think about uh, mutual funds, uh, private funds, uh, hedge funds, uh, it's really not something that everybody has access to. 
minimum amount of investments, you need to be a qualified investor, so you need to have money to make money. And uh, while it was fascinating to me, the bigger metric, uh, thinking about investments has always been, uh, can my dad buy this? So about 20 years ago, I was introduced to these uh, instruments called exchange-traded funds. The market was uh, incredibly new and uh, nobody even knew what the ETFs were at that time. Nobody knew if uh, it was gonna be a hero or a zero, were they gonna be successful or not? Uh, Were they gonna be embraced by the investor base or not? Were they gonna provide good outcome for clients or not? But to me, that met the test. So an exchange-traded fund is something that democratizes access to investments. You can buy as little as $20 worth of an ETF, which gives you one share in a fund, and now you participate in the results of financial markets. So that was the story that made it very compelling to me. Out of the blue, Here you have an instrument that gives you value, that creates a bridge between the wealthy and the not so wealthy, give access to financial markets to investors that are not qualified or institutional investors, and they are easy to access. So at that point, I really made a commitment to this type of instrument, and I said that I have to be part of the story. And it doesn't matter what type of involvement I'm going to have in this story, but I think there is a thing going on, there is a value in this type of proposition, and I want to be part of this story. And next thing you know, fast forward the 20 years, (laughs) here we are, $400 billion worth of business that I'm responsible for globally at Invesco. So I couldn't be happier about what I do, and I think that the sky is the limit. And even if I enjoyed the journey for the last 20 years, I'm just super excited to see what's going to happen in the next 20 years. Right, right. Every time I hear $400 billion, I just can't believe it. It's amazing. So 20 years, this asset class has changed so much. So can you talk about some of the major changes that you've seen over your time? Absolutely, absolutely. So these products started with a very simple proposition. And that is, uh, you cannot beat the market. And if you cannot beat the market, why do you pay for performance? Investors are better off tracking the performance of the market by paying very low fees. So if you marry into this theory, you will see how strategies that are very simple, tracking the S&P 500, for example, became so successful. But over the years, the instrument has evolved. And right now, you are not just going to find ETFs that are plain vanilla products, S&P 500. You will find ETFs that provide the value add. So for me, the strongest proposition when I joined Invesco was leading the intelligent index revolution and providing investors with something that was not just tracking the market but also providing outperformance based on factors, you know, value, momentum, companies that pay high dividends. 
So right now, you can buy ETFs and you can actually outperform the market and meet your investment objectives. But it's not just one or the other. It's a combination. And over the years, the narrative around ETFs has changed as well. And what I like the most about investors is that the firm has been one of the leading ones to move away from the conversation active versus passive. It's not an either or conversation. This is a solution-based approach. You have to look at the active management and the passive management as a building blocks in a client portfolio. And the combination of those building blocks is really what makes the difference in achieving a certain outcome. So you need to use this together and you can amplify your outcome if you have a thoughtful approach to something that is solutions-based and vehicle agnostic. Okay. All right. And now I know that recently you launched a couple new ETFs. You launched a multi-factor ETF covering international markets and then also launched Europe's first U.S. muni bond ETF. Can you talk a little bit about those? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Roberto, there is one thing that is a minimum common denominator, if you like. And that minimum common denominator is innovation. Mm -hmm. We want to bring to market something that we believe is missing. So in Europe, we, we have launched, and you named it, the first newly bond ETF. Uh, the international multi-factor ETF that we just launched in the U.S. is also one of its kinds, the only one of its kinds. We launched at the end of last year two funds that you have probably heard about by the ticker of QQQM and the QQQJ. Yeah. And those are ETFs that invest in the most innovative companies that trade on the NASDAQ stock exchange. So that concept of innovation, that concept of pushing the envelope, of bringing something new to the market, is what drives our product development efforts start to finish. Uh, you may also have heard that at the end of last year, we launched our first active non-transparent ETFs, which again are part of our commitment to developing strategies and developing wrappers that really bring together active portfolio management techniques with the EDF technology, which is ultimately what brings these strategies into the marketplace. So we have right now north of 220 products that trade in the U.S. only, and not one product is like the other. And not one product is like something else that you find in the marketplace. So innovation, filling a gap, and solving a problem for a client is really what drives our efforts every day. Okay. You mentioned 220 products, and you are the global head of the business. How many different countries are you working in? We have three, let's call them manufacturing hubs. So there are three different jurisdictions where we create our products, where we list those products locally. And these are Canada, US, and EMEA, Europe. But our clients are global. So if you just look at the word, if you just look at the acronym, ETFs, 
So the F is local. So these are funds and uh, they comply with local requirements and they are listed on local exchanges. But the ET exchange traded, that's global. So if you are sitting in Japan and you wanna buy an ETF that trades in New York, you can certainly do that. If you are sitting in Sydney, Australia, and you wanna trade an ETF on the London Stock Exchange, you can just place that trade. So while we manufacture products in certain regions, we are very mindful about the fact that our clients are global. So the one thing that is really powerful about Invesco is that we do have a global network. So we do have offices in different regions and in a number of different countries in the world. But we also have global distribution network. So, for example, we have a sales team and a distribution team that serves clients in Latin America. We don't have offices there, but we do support the clients in that part of the world. So that, that really gives us visibility and we really are committed to servicing our clients regardless of where the trade is coming from. That's great. Okay. Now, I wanted to talk about one other product. You mentioned paying dividends. You know, there's one hot ETF out there, PGX. Can you talk a little bit about the Invesco Preferred ETF? Sure, sure, absolutely. PGX has been incredibly successful over the last few months. The preferred market has gained a lot of attention. The strength of our product is that our lineup is really diversified and very differentiated. And products like PGX may be in favor in certain times, uh, certain cycles of the market. Other products like dividends related, uh, related to value or momentum can be in favor in different uh, market cycles, but we do have a lineup that is very diversified. Most recently, the biggest success that we have seen really resides with thematic ETFs. You may have seen the attention that the clients are paying to ESG strategies. Uh, and this is one segment of the market where the U.S. market is playing a catch-up to the European market and the Canadian market. It is something, it is a trend that we were observing before 2020, but the COVID really accelerated the adoption of ESG strategies. People today don't just look at their investments, they want to look under the hood. They want to understand exactly what type of companies they finance with their investments. And this is why we are seeing so much success with thematic strategies. People are really passionate these days. They are really passionate about how far their money is going. And, you know, I keep telling people that if you really want to understand investor behavior, all you have to do is look at how they spend their money. In, uh, uh, in their day-by-day lives. For example, I'll give you the silly example of uh, grocery shopping. Now, let's talk about behavior prior to COVID because COVID changed everything. How many times did you go to the grocery store with your own bags, let's say five years ago? Probably almost right. never. Right, yeah. Right, but uh, fast forward to the end of 2019, 
everybody was doing the grocery shopping with the reusable bags mm -hmm. because there is an increased attention to things like the environment, your social responsibility, governance responsibility. So ESG is really becoming the way by which people spend their money, which also crosses over to financial markets and how they invest. One year ago, we have seen the greatest success with our solar ETF, mm. which the ticker is TAN. And if you think about it, it makes perfect sense because two things that came together at the same time, policy commitments to renewable energy, which are going to be accelerated under the Biden administration, and technology. Solar powers are now 80% cheaper than they used to be. So when you see these dynamics coming together, you will see how responsible investing, thinking about the environment, thinking, thinking about social issues can also translate in good performance. And these are themes that are incredibly powerful this year. Wow. Okay. All right. Now you mentioned how it's easy to access ETFs. Also, there's tax advantages to it as well versus mutual funds. And I know you don't want to compare, but the simplicity of it, the flexibility of it. So it seems like there are quite a few advantages for you to get into ETFs versus other forms. So ETFs, when you think about ETFs, I think that the easy way to look at the instrument is to think about the technology. Now, content, content is going to have to be there. Whether you are assessing the quality and the performance of a mutual fund, whether you are looking at an ETF, content is going to have to be there. You know, I would think about watching a show these days. It doesn't matter whether you're streaming it on Prime or Netflix. If the show is good, the show is good, people right. are going to watch it. So content that is going to have to be there. But then the vehicle also becomes important mm. because what type of strategy, what type of content better meets your investment goals? Do you want something that is cost-effective and predictable somehow based on rules that are fully transparent? Or do you believe that part of your portfolio should be allocated to those active stock pickers? I mean, active strategy is not going to go away. There will always be room for those portfolio managers who can bring value to their investors doing security selection. But if you want to combine this type of strategy with ETFs that are cost-effective and very transparent, this is where you can really meet your investment objectives. Tax efficiency is also a great tool that is associated with the ETF technology because redemptions in an ETF are executed in kind and that type of process receives a tax advantage as compared to cashing out redemptions when investors go out and having to sell and dispose of securities, having to pay capital gains and the like. So investors are becoming more and more sophisticated, which is great. There is more and more pressure into the marketplace, which again is something that is great for investors. Pressure is not only about performance, but it's also about fees. So we really live in an environment that favors total outcome for beneficial holders. 
which I think is a very healthy place to be if you have savings and you want to invest them in mutual funds. But again, look at the te technology and you have to look at your portfolio to decide how to best combine those tools. Right. I'm an right. EDF geek, so to me, <laughs> there is incredible power in the EDF technology, and this is what I'm most passionate about. Again, it's not an either-or conversation. It's like, uh, how do you meet your objective and how do you amplify your outcome by bringing these tools together in a way that is a healthy and effective? Got it. All right. Now, what from your law school do you feel like has, has helped you in your career? So what uh, has helped me in my career which uh, is not just coming from my law school days, uh, but it's also coming from uh, my personality being a little pain in the back uh, growing up, is always asking questions. Mm. Always asking, always trying to understand the why. Don't take anything for granted. Don't just take an answer at face value, but try and understand why. Why things are the way they are. This has helped me also move from my legal career into, into management, into the business side of the house, because uh, uh, innovation is all about why. So if uh, you want to be successful at uh, navigating in the gray area and uh, pushing the envelope, you really need to understand why the envelope is closed in a certain way to begin with. Mm -hmm. And this is where the magic happens. This is where you can start pushing and pushing and creating and building because understanding the foundation really gives you an ability to build on top, layer over layer over layer. So having an inquisitive mind, asking questions and never being satisfied with the answer without understanding what's behind the answer mm. is what has driven me all the way not only in the legal world, not only in my career, but also in life, if you like. Great. Wow, this is great advice. Now, can you talk about what a typical day of yours looks like? Ah, gee, what's <laughs> typical this day, Rodolfo? I don't know if you have typical days yourself. No. <laughs> uh, the last 15 months, I feel like nothing has been typical. I don't even know what a typical day is going to look like. But these days, uh, my typical day is just uh, getting up in the morning and uh, getting my crazy family set and uh, pushing the kids out of the house. I have two kids. They are seven and eight. And uh, uh, we are lucky enough because they are in school in person every day. And then my uh, other jobs. I was listening to my kids talking to their friends a couple of weeks ago, and somebody asked, what does your mom do for a living? And my older kid, who is eight years old, said, oh, no, mom doesn't work. She just goes upstairs in the office and she talks to people. So she doesn't work. So that's probably my typical day. That's an interesting I, perspective of it, yeah. That's, that's exactly right. So I talk to people all day. And I have to say, Rodolfo, all things considered, uh, we are somehow lucky. 
because technology is giving us the ability to be together despite not being physically together. Mm-hmm. If this had happened 15 years ago, I don't know that we would have been able to achieve everything that we have achieved in 2020 and this year. Right. Uh, I would also say that uh, you know this atypical way of uh, conducting business has been ironic because it has brought us closer as mm-hmm. human beings. I mean, everybody walks into my living room, into my kitchen, with my family crushing my meetings, with my cat jumping on the desk. So it has really brought us closer as as people. So there's nothing typical about it. I hope that at some point we will be able to have a better routine and embrace the new normal, whatever that new normal is going to look like. But I have to say, every day, I look at what I do, I look at the people I do it with, uh, and uh, I count my blessings. Uh, That's great. Now, before all this, before the pandemic, being the global head, were you traveling a lot for your job? I was was traveling a lot, Mm. a lot. I was on the road uh, almost once a week, sometimes twice a week. I think that the summer... Before the pandemic, the summer of 2019, I was traveling to Washington, D.C. twice a week to the point where there was one day I was at the security checkpoint at the airport O'Hare in Chicago. And one person from security greeted me and said, oh, Miss Paglia, oh, Oh, welcome. (laughs) Uh, uh, By the way, do you work here? Do you know that there is a separate line for employees? And I said, first of all, I don't work here. Second of all, that proves I'm traveling way too much. Mm. It was very different. But, you know, we have learned that maybe traveling so much, it's not essential. Because we had to change our business and the way we conduct our business literally from one day to the next. Mm -hmm. And guess what? It was fine. We haven't lost the connection with our clients. The quality of our services has not decreased. If anything, it has increased because now we can service more clients at the same time. We don't have to spend hours at the airport or connecting from place to place. So it is is very different. Uh, I hate to say that, and if you ask me two years ago, I wouldn't believe that. I would not have believed that, that one day I was going to say that, but I miss those couple of hours waiting for an aircraft that is delayed and <laughs> uh, trying to kill time watching a show on my tablet. I miss it because right now it's just meeting after meeting after yeah. meeting after meeting. The lines between life and work are completely blurred. And when people talk about COVID fatigue, it's real. So somehow I miss those hours. I miss those days where you were frustrated at the airport. Things considered, you know, it has been a very smooth transition. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like things might change because like you said, we are seeing that we can continue doing what we were doing from home or mostly from home. But at the same time, you're right. Now your workplace is your home. And from the time you wake up to basically the time you go to sleep, you're just working and you're not present when you're doing other things. So we'll see what the new normal will be when this is over. (laughs) 
We'll see, we'll see. But I can put my money on the fact that some things will go back to being the way they were. So, for example, in my job, innovation is a team team sport. Mm-hmm. It's a village. You put people together in the same room, and this is how the magic happens. That's going to continue. That's going to be the same. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to those days where we will all get back together physically. But there are things that uh, are never going to go back to the way they were. Think about meeting clients. Having a Zoom call 15 months ago was frowned upon. Really, you were lazy if uh, you didn't care enough uh, to get on an aircraft and meet a client in San Francisco or in New York. Right now, it's perfectly normal. And uh, even when uh, airports and travel will reopen again, I doubt we will go back to the way it was. Mm. So I think that there are things that we have learned over the last 15 months that we will carry with us in the upcoming years. And there are things that we will just scratch and be the day are over. Yeah. Now, you mentioned making the magic or creating the next big thing. How does that work? Is it anyone that's bringing up an idea or is it committee that you have or how does a lot of that work? So the best things uh, always happen when uh, people challenge each other. And in fact, uh, if you think about my priorities, uh, when it comes to my team, when it comes to my business, uh, the first leg, the first pillar is always around people. It takes uh, a special type of people to be successful doing ETFs. These are the people that... uh, challenge convention that don't take no as an answer. And those are those people who are a pain in the neck to everybody. And those are people that challenge every possible decision and every possible assumption, including mine. Listen, when I talk, nobody takes me at face value in my team. So everybody pushes back every step of the way, which is exactly how innovation happens. Yeah. It takes a village to bring the next big thing. It takes different brains and a different set of expertise. We have lawyers, we have compliance professionals, we have capital markets, trading, product development, strategists, analysts, thought leadership. It really takes a village. And I will give you an example with our active non-transparent ETFs. We built our own technology. So we built our own proprietary platform. And there were a number of open questions. It took seven years to come up with a construct that we were satisfied with. Mm. And during the course of the process, there was an issue we could not find an answer to. And we brought about 50 people together in Chicago. And with those people around the table, I said, guys, If you need to use the restroom, you better do it now because nobody leaves until we have solved this problem. And again, innovation is not a solo performance. You cannot be a solo artist. And if you look at inventions these days, if you look at the filings at the patent office, you will see that for every invention, you have a list of inventors. You have a list of names. Because that's how good value is created. It's not just one person that can bring the next idea, but it's that idea where somebody built 
builds on and somebody builds on, people challenging each other, pushing the weaknesses, addressing the weaknesses, and then ultimately creating a solution that everybody has contributed to. Got it. Okay. All right. Now, you being the global head of ETFs, what skills and characteristics were you, you mentioned some of them, that inquisitiveness, but what skills and characteristics would you say are most important to be successful in what you do? First of all, you really need to be able to listen to people. And it sounds cliche because everybody's going to tell you, yeah, of course I'm a good listener. But the truth of the matter is uh, everybody has uh, very high convictions. This is not something that you can do without passion. I have had a number of people that I mentored in my career, and I always told them, you either love it or hate it. If you hate it, uh, jump. Don't spend uh, one more minute uh, trying to do EDFs. Uh, And you know it. You know it if you love it or if you hate it. If you love it, just go for it. Put all of your time, all of your talent, all all of your passion, and try to make a difference into this industry. So passion is incredibly important. But with passion comes a very high conviction. And if you have a very high conviction, you cannot say, I'm listening to people. Because if somebody comes to you and says, I don't agree with you, I think you are wrong, you cannot help yourself but take it personally and be defensive. (laughs) So you really need to be able to balance these different forces, high conviction, passion, but at the same time, listen to people, absorb what people tell you. Don't be afraid to say, I was wrong. And that's the other thing that uh, I am introducing within my team. I had my first town hall about uh, seven months ago. And I said, listen, we need to start embracing the F word. And uh, everybody was looking at me like, where is she going with this? The F word is failure. Mm. Because in this day and age, People don't like to say we failed. People like to embellish things. Like, hey, we lost the match, but we played that phenomenal third quarter. Well, you know what? You still lost. (laughs) So don't don't look at the third quarter to say, wow, our defense was fantastic. Our quarterback rocked it. You lost. Mm -hmm. So instead of looking that good quarter look at the game try to dissect your weaknesses why did you lose not because you want to find the finger at people you want to find the finger it's just because you need to recognize a failure build on failure and address problems so embracing the effort the failure having that type of humility this is what's going to help you build and be successful but, but that's critical. You need to have that type of ability. Otherwise, you're just not going to be successful in this business. I like that. I like the sports analogy. Could you hear a lot of champions say those same sort of things? They fell, they fell flat in their face. And what they did was realize why they failed, what mistakes they made. And they worked so hard to make those weaknesses strengths or whatever they did wrong to make sure they didn't do it again. And that's how they got to where they are. So I like that. Yeah. I like that. And, and, and Rodolfo, I'm not going to put you on the spot. 
but I will tell you, if you think back about your life and about your career, mm-hmm. and if I asked you, list those uh, 10 victories that really marked your life, mm-hmm. you would have to think about it. Mm-hmm. But if I asked you, list the three failures, right. you would know them right at the top of your head. Right. Because those are the things that really leave a mark in you as a person, as a professional. And if you embrace those moments and if you build around those moments, you will never forget them. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. See, negativity bias, I guess, a little bit. But yeah, you're right. But use that. Use that as fuel. You need to use them to empower yourself yeah I, I mean don't, don't go back and look at the failure and cry for me for me no j- just uh, make yourself fueled and empowered by those moments because once you know what your weaknesses you also know how to address them you also know how to fix them well great advice so being a good listener being passionate about what you do having that high conviction and not being afraid when you're wrong or failed all right yeah. And don't stop. Never stop. And don't stop. If you are doing something you believe in, don't stop. Got it. All right. Now, can you talk about what you love about what you do? Where do I start? So (laughs) I always start from the people. I love uh, love the people I work with. Uh, And the reason why I love the people is because uh, you end up spending uh, most of your day with your colleagues. Uh, at times, uh, I spend more time with my colleagues than I spend with my husband or with my kids. So it's uh, inevitable to be drawn to those people. You know whether you like your colleagues or you don't. If you don't like your work environment or your colleagues, uh, it's just going to be a paycheck. You are going to punch in in the morning, uh, wait for the time when you punch out, and you are just going to be there for the paycheck. And that's not fun. And, uh, you know, Rodolfo, I've done it. And I can tell you it's not fun. But if you do something you like with people you like, this is, uh, this is the holy grail. This is the most powerful combination. And the one thing that I really liked uh, about uh, working at Invesco from the very first day, uh, it was, uh, uh, you know, day one, I walked into the office this and I saw some people with a, a Bible on their desk mm. and you know to me that was very significant because it doesn't matter what you believe in but the fact that people can bring their belief and they feel free to display those beliefs tells a big story in terms of inclusion yeah. You don't have to be afraid because nobody's judging you. And I really like that. And the more you work with people, the more I work with people at Invesco, the more I realize that uh, I like them not only for their brains, uh, but for their heart more than anything else. Because when they leave the office, they are not just good colleagues. They are good mothers, good fathers, good brothers, good sisters, good friends. So it's uh, working with people you like is critical. It's the foundation. It's the basis for everything else. And then on top of it, I really like what I do. 
I really like ETFs. I really like the fact that uh, my father buys ETFs. I really like the fact that uh, this business has grown and this industry has grown dramatically. You know, when I started doing ETFs, the industry was about $100 billion. Right now, it has crossed $7.7 trillion. So it has been just phenomenal. I mean, back in the day, I didn't even know that trillion was a real number. <laughs> you know, when you come up with the zigabillion, billion, well, no, $7.7 trillion in ETF assets worldwide. So I'm doing something I love, something I'm passionate about with people I really like. That's why I feel blessed every single day. That's awesome. That's great. Now, what about on the flip side, though? What type of challenges are out there for you? What keeps you up at night? Well, what keeps me up at night is making sure that our commitment is real, that we don't bite more than we can chew, because passion and ambition are two sides of the same coin. And especially when you push the envelope, especially when you come up with uh, uh, the next best yeah, there is, always, there is always a risk associated with it. So we are in the business of taking risks and we have processes, procedures, and we are used to thinking about risk in a way that is very measured. We only take risks that we can quantify, but this environment is very unpredictable. Nobody could anticipate what happened one year ago. Nobody knows what's going to happen this year. So there is just that uncertainty that is embedded in financial markets, in this business, and in the way you do business that you can control, but up to a certain point. So what keeps me up at night is uh, uh, the uncertainty and uh, unpredictability of the times we live in. Yeah. What keeps me up at night is the environment we live in outside of work, healthcare, social environment. It's a combination of things that do not lend itself to peaceful going to bed without concerns. I think about the future of my kids. I think about what this world is going to look like in 30 years and what we can do to contribute one way or the other to what my kids are going to inherit when they grow up in terms of the business environment, the social environment, the uh, environment in itself, uh, the political environment. So there are a number of things that keep me up at night. And that's why I watch a lot of TV. (laughs) Well, yeah, there's a lot of things, a lot of factors outside the job that I think are keeping a lot of people up at night right now. Now, On the bright side, your incredible career, there have been a lot of memorable moments in your career. Are there any that really stick out to you? Any memorable moments that stick out to you? Uh, So as you were formulating the question, something came to mind, and it may be surprising to you. The one moment that materialized in my head was when I was fresh out of law school. And I was working three jobs to pay the rent. And on weekends, I was uh, a waitress uh, in a restaurant in Rome, in Piazza Navona. And you wouldn't believe how much I learned 
with regards to management, uh, only thanks to that experience. The owner of the restaurant was incredibly resourceful. And uh, if you think about uh, putting your money at risk, uh, taking risks every day, and uh, trying to provide the quality to your clients, uh, I think that the biggest lessons that I learned in my career, I learned them as I was doing that job. Yeah. Creating value, being flexible. I remember one day, I was at the cashier because my Saturday, I was not serving tables. I was just uh, checking people out. And there was an argument in the kitchen and the chef was fired. Uh, like from one minute to the next. Mm. So the owner of the restaurant came to me and said, you go to the kitchen. And for today, you are going to be the chef. And I had no idea where to start. And I, listen, I don't know what food that came out of the kitchen that day. It was horrible. <laughs> I was sweating and I was horrified. I thought I was losing my job. And then that night he said, listen, I just taught you two lessons. Lesson number one, nobody's irreplaceable. Lesson number two is flexibility is everything because your food sucked. But we got to the end of the day, and that was important. We didn't have to shut down the restaurant. We didn't have to close the business. We got to the end of the day, and it was okay. (laughs) So, again, thinking back about my career, the one advice that I give to everybody is uh, don't be so strict with definitions. Mentorships and mentors or mentees, truth of the matter is that you learn every day and every day you create a judgment in your head about uh, things you like, things you don't like, behaviors you like, behaviors you don't like. And even if you don't know that unconsciously, you will absorb the behaviors you like because uh, you want to be that person exhibiting that good behavior. So always think about that. We are all sponges and let's make sure that we capture the good behavior. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Love all the great advice you've been given. This is great. So Anna, we are at the end of this interview. I want to head over to this quick hitter session where I'll be asking you questions for fun just to get to know you a little bit better. But before I do that, though, just want to find out if there's anything additional that you would like to talk about or if you feel like I might have left any questions off. Oh, you you. haven't. You haven't. I cannot believe that we have been talking for one hour. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's head to the quick hitter session. First question. What's your favorite sports team? Roma. Okay. Soccer team. Yep. And how are they doing? Not that well, well, all right. We'll leave it as that. Uh, You know, passion and loyalty has nothing to do with results. Right, okay, got it. Well, I'm a Rockets fan, so I got it. (laughs) So you mentioned you watch a lot of TV. So favorite movie or show? Uh, So best movie, my my favorite movie is The Gladiator. Mm -hmm. Because that's a great example of uh, justice, loyalty, and teamwork. Mm. I used to watch that uh, every time before my biggest exams in law school because uh, it was really energizing. (laughs) So I know every line. You can ask me. I know every line of that movie. 
That is awesome. My, my father would say the same thing. And he would talk about the leadership and teamwork and things of that nature and watch it. <laughs> All right. Favorite musical artist or group? Gaga. Gaga forever. <laughs> Gaga forever. Love it. <laughs> Favorite vacation spot? Roma. Mm. Rome. Yeah. I'm biased, but <laughs> I that Rome is the best place in the world. I love Rome. I love mm -hmm. Rome. Not going to lie. Favorite food or drink? Favorite food is pizza. I would have to go for pizza. <laughs> if I could only choose one food, that would be pizza, breakfast, oh. lunch, and dinner. And then favorite drink? Well, I'm addicted to Diet Coke. Oh, so, well, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say one thing. I hope you don't mind me saying this, but I have a nonprofit organization and we had an event with Invesco. And I remember you saying that they asked you who on your team would you like to speak at this event? And you said, what do you mean? I want to speak at the event. I'm passionate about this stuff. I want to speak at it. And that really meant a lot to me and really stuck with me. And I really appreciate that. And Really appreciate you also coming on to this podcast. Thank you so much. This has been so great. Learned a lot about this business, about your business. Your career is just amazing. So just congratulations on all your achievements and keep doing what you're doing. And thank you so much again. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for having me to the other event, which <laughs> I deeply enjoyed. So, uh, you know, count me in. I really love to participate in your events. I really love what you do. I really like and I really admire what you stand for. So thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. It's my honor to be here. That means a lot. Thank you so much. All right. Well, have thank a good Oh, and if there's, if people have any comments or questions for you, is there any way that they can reach out to you? Of course, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook, my email address is somewhere <laughs> public, but it's anna.paglia.invesco.com. I am always just one click away from people, happy to engage or to answer questions. Great. Thanks a lot, Anna. Thank have you, Rodolfo. Thank you, everyone. If you have any comments or questions or would like to be on the podcast, please reach out to me on Instagram at Rodolfo Cooper. Thank you. Bye.